going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. Welcome the front time, bitch. Hello and welcome to Onico Sequel. My name is Dave and I'm one of the two hosts of this tormented podcast. And I'm Rich and I'm the other host of this tormented podcast. Think of me as Ian Malcolm to Dave's Alan Grant. He's obsessed with dinosaurs and I always dress in leather. The premise for Onico Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests and their best ever sequel, their worst ever sequel and finally their dream sequel. And of course, we'll often drift off and talk about life in general, sometimes other movies, who knows? Just rambly chats. And sometimes we do drop some big fat spoilers by accident. Mm. This is by accident. So if we mention a film that you, you haven't seen and you don't want it ruined, then go off, you know. Those stairs need hoovering. And you know the stairs need a lot of attention when it comes to hoovering. So do that and then come back. Because on today's episode, we are joined by Mike Munzer. Mike is the host and creator of the Evolution of Horror podcasts, one of the absolute best movie podcasts out there. Make sure you give that a listen. Yeah, we were very excited to sit down with Mike and chat all things sequels with him. These are Mike Munzer's Unequal Sequels. Enjoy! Can you remember the first sequel you got excited about? Oh, the first sequel I got excited about. Yeah, actually, I probably can. And this might link to one of my picks later, actually. Lovely. But one of the earliest cinema experiences and best experiences I ever had when I would have been about six years old was seeing Jurassic Park uh, in 1993. I was born in 87. So it's really one of my earliest ever cinema experiences and quite a formative film for me. Like, it's still one of my all-time favourite films. And it absolutely terrified me. Obviously, I was six years old and you're watching these children get, you know, attacked in a car by this T-Rex. But I loved it. And I remember being very aware and very, very excited for The Lost World, which came out, what, three years, four years later, something like that. Um, And, you know, demanding that my parents take me opening weekend. So that was, was, I think, the first kind of real sort of sequel frenzy that I was in um, at that age. And... uh... What was your first response to that movie, The Lost World? Was was it excitement after you saw it or was it disappointment? It was disappointment. <laughs> it was disappointment. <laughs> I remember even as I probably would have, would have been a nine-year-old then, 
uh, thinking, oh my god, this is not as good as the original. No, yeah, I remember that very clearly. It had its moments, The Lost World, and actually, sort of, as I've gotten older, I've sort of come to appreciate parts of it more, but it's still, you know, not not great compared to the original, is it? Yeah, so um, it was definitely, it was, it was my first experience of sequel excitement, but also sequel disappointment, maybe. <laughs> oh, that, that wasn't the film that made you realise films could be bad, was it? No, I don't think so. I think I must have seen worse stuff by that point, I reckon. But um, when was the Godzilla, Matthew Broderick Godzilla? I remember seeing. Oh, so that was after. Because I remember thinking that was dreadful at the cinema as a child as well, actually. Batman and Robin, maybe. Like. Those were kind of some of my early kind of formative cinema memories around that kind of 97, 98 period of seeing some pretty stupid sequels as well. (laughs) 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 I think think The Lost World is one of those sequels where it's not great when you first see it. And then when you watch what comes after it, it suddenly feels better. Exactly, exactly. Which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit. (laughs) So, So you were nine when you saw Lost World. Was that where your mum and dad could take you to that one as well? Or It was. It was. Yeah, I went with my parents and uh, it was a packed, packed cinema because obviously Jurassic Park had, was the biggest film of all time and, yeah. and, and and The Lost World was like the biggest sequel of all time. And uh, yeah, it, I remember it being packed with kids and teenagers and parents and adults and um, it was a really fun kind of buzz uh, in that cinema. So, you know, despite the quality of the film kind of maybe not being as great as people hoped, it was still an amazing experience. I remember seeing that film. Which bits did you like back then? Was it the Raptors? Or... Yeah, the, in the Lost World specifically, what did I love? I loved the uh, yeah the Raptors killing people in the sort of cornfield where they're sort of disappearing, and there's that whole set piece where the um, the sort of trailer, the truck is hanging over a cliff, mm. and Julianne Moore is oh, just yeah. balanced on a pane of glass that is cracking. There are these amazing, you know, Spielberg is actually. I think underrated as a sort of horror movie um, director, you know, like, you know, movie. he's so thought of now as this big family blockbuster sentimental guy, I think. And when you look at how well he directs horror in stuff like Jaws and the Jurassic Park movies, even War of the Worlds, which I think is underrated, yeah. like I think he's phenomenally good at sustained tension, jump scares, violence, you know, and... Uh, yeah, there are. there's the odd set piece in The Lost World, which is as good as anything in in the first film i think but it's kind of wrapped up in a lot of other quite stupid stuff that that whole storyline with the little girl jeff goldblum's daughter who gets you know kicked out of the gymnastics team but then saves everyone using her power of gymnastics to to beat back the velociraptors and stuff like there's a lot of and then everything in that final act with the t-rex on the loose in san diego or wherever it is it's, it's all a bit ridiculous and annoying i think that stuff so it's a sort of mixed bag that bit kind of feels like another film now it does because it, it kind of ends on the island you think oh people have died people have made it off you know heroes and and then they're like oh you go to stand up and you're like oh no there's another 45 yeah. minutes of weirdness going on it's very weird it's like another mo- little movie tacked on the end and not a very good one as well it no. feels a bit strange and disjointed in that way but but it it does have some spectacular moments for yeah. sure pete puffway just disappears he's like yeah. i've caught my rex that's it now uh <laughs> Exactly. And then another sequel that probably around that time I discovered on video, which was a much, much better sequel experience. And I'm sure people must have talked about this with you guys a lot was Back to the Future 2. I was obsessed with the Back to the Future trilogy as well. I was born a little bit after they came out in cinemas, obviously. So I was watching them on VHS 
and particularly Back to the Future 2 as a kid was my personal favourite of the three. I think as I've become an adult, I've kind of realised how brilliant and you know unbeatable that first one is really. But there's something about the second one that I thought was just the coolest, cleverest film I had ever seen when I was a kid, you know, and I just watched it on repeat. Yeah. Unbelievable. Was it the hoverboards? Oh, it was the hoverboards. It was the weird dystopian section in the middle. And then I really loved him returning to him the, the first film in the final act you know like it yeah, was yeah. just I, it just blew my mind that film it kind of made me realize how you know what you could do with cinema and what you could do with sequels too this idea of kind mm. of going back and affecting the events of the first film via the second film and everything was just was just such a cool idea what you, what you heard to the third back to the future now we're here i like it it's you know I would, you know, overall, I would say it's one of my favourite movie trilogies of all time. I love all of them to a point. I think the third one is my least favourite. And that's partly because I'm just not the... I'm not a huge fan of westerns, generally. Like, I would say it's maybe my least favourite subgenre. And this uh, Back to the Future 3 has some amazing stuff going on. But uh, I'm less fussed about the kind of western look and, and vibe of that film compared to the kind of amazing bonkers stuff that goes on in the first two, I suppose. Yeah. And yeah. With the, with, is that the uh, hunting in the VHS, like blockbusters going to find uh, yeah, Back I to the think, Future? Or did you uh, know it was uh, coming? Actually, my, my, my dad owned them on VHS. So they oh, were part of his legends. like VHS collection. Yeah, my dad actually had a really good VHS collection. And there were some films that I was too young to see. But I was really obsessed with the video boxes. He had Terminator 1 yes. and 2. He had Alien and Aliens. And I remember him telling me, he was like, oh, Aliens is the scariest film I've ever seen. You can't watch that until you're much older and stuff. And I remember really kind of building up Aliens in my mind as this thing that scared my dad more than anything else. Um, but yeah, and actually, funnily enough, speaking again of sequels, I think my dad let me watch Terminator 2 before one because he sort of mm. said one would be too dark and too scary and it is it's much more of a sort of horror film in it a way is, right yeah, yeah. and two it has that kind of slightly more kind of fun action movie vibe so i remember i watched the terminator films quite young and i watched them the wrong way around i watched two before one because yeah. that was the I one think that I, I was allowed two. to watch yeah I, I think i watched two before one i yeah. think two is kind of it's almost acceptable. If you take the nuclear war, you know, everyone getting burned in the nuclear war bit out, then <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah. kind of, it's not too bad. Like, it's it's okay. not too bad. Yeah, whereas the first one really does feel like a sort of slasher film, right? Mm. It, it was almost like Halloween, except Michael Myers was Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in, in the first one. And it is a lot scarier and darker. Yeah, the second one just has loads of cool motorbike stunts and other stuff, doesn't it? And, and Arnie yeah. being kind of friendly dad figure to Edward Furlong and everything as well. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Was your dad a big horror fan? Is that where you you got your love from horror from? No, actually, like none of my family understand where I got my love of horror from. Uh, <laughs> my dad likes, you know, movies like Terminator and Aliens are kind of his limit. He loves sci-fi and action and kind yeah. of stuff that maybe slightly leans into horror. He would argue vehemently that Alien and Aliens aren't horror, which I would yeah. argument argue vehemently oh, I, they I are. Alien um, is definitely a horror movie. Exactly like, right. Exactly. 100%. But. Uh, but no, I had two older sisters um, who were quite considerably older than me. There's like a gap of about eight and ten years. And so they were teenagers when I was young and oh, I was first exposed to horror because they had rented Scream from their local video store. I would have been about ten years old and I watched it then, way too young to have watched it. But that was what got me obsessed with horror. And uh, they were never that fussed about it, and neither were my parents. And, and I became completely addicted to horror movies. And I think, especially off the back of watching Scream as my kind of gateway of, into horror, Scream is a movie that 
kind of reels off a bunch of horror movie titles for you to then want to check out, right? Yeah, I remember yeah. watching Scream, thinking it was the best film I'd ever seen in my life. And... Uh, but then also taking a mental note of what these characters kept talking about. Oh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, Halloween. Friday the 13th. And, you know, like, then seeking them out, either because they were on late on television and recording them off the television, or getting one of my older siblings to rent them from the video store for me and uh, spent my most of my teenage years watching loads of crappy slasher franchises, basically. <laughs> was, that, was Scream 2 a big deal to you then when it came out? Massive. Absolutely massive. Yeah, I was so... That, that was another one of those sequels I was just ridiculously Counting excited down, for. Yeah. I still mm. am. Like, even with Scream 6 earlier this year, I feel like a child again. I get that excited about a new Scream movie. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those franchises that... I love because of my love of horror, but also maybe there is some sort of nostalgic love there as well yeah. for me. And but also, right, as far as horror series go, the batting average of the screen movies is pretty good, right? Compared to the mm. compared to Halloween or some of these other horror franchises yeah. that have five, six, seven sequels, the screen movies are are all pretty good, right? They're like that. I don't think there's been a truly terrible one yet. So yeah, I no. do always get really Touch excited wood, about Mike. a new screen movie. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. There's probably loads more to come. Yeah, no, no I'm gonna stop that. Six is six is great until the last kind of twenty minutes when it turns into Scooby Doo. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A few of them run the risk of. I mean, I think uh, Scream Three as well has a real Scooby-Doo vibe to it. There's a lot of kind of people running around big mansions and coming out of secret doorways and screaming uh, and running and stuff. And it's all a bit silly. And it does like the Scream movies I find since the first one haven't quite nailed that kind of comedy horror balance as well as I want them to, you know, mm. but uh, but they're all so much fun. And yeah, Scream 2 back in, when, what was that, 1997 as well, was one that I was ridiculously excited for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What is your pick for best ever sequel? So there's obviously there's so many, right? That, and I'm sure, <laughs> and I was trying to think of one that maybe less people might have mentioned on your podcast because I did think of movies like Aliens, but I thought mm. surely probably people have spoken to you about Aliens before. <laughs> so I've gone with uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors from 1987. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So you had had you guys seen this before? I had never seen any no. Nightmare on Elm Street movie until this morning when I oh watched it. Oh my god! <laughs> so 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 have you only seen part three and not? I've the first only one? seen part three. I haven't seen the first one. Oh you know who god. Freddy Krueger is, though, right? I know Krueger. who Freddy Krueger is. Yeah, yeah, and I know who Robert Englund is. But you know, I'm like, that's it. That's as far as it goes. Oh, this is incredible. Well, yeah, I uh, <laughs> when I was seeking out kind of slasher movies and teen horror movies as a kid. I, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, was one of my absolute favourites. And um, I knew that it had something like six... I think it had six sequels, right? There were seven Elm Street films at the time until we got the crappy 2010 sort of reboot. And uh, and I sort of made it my mission to seek them all out. And some of them are absolutely terrible. Really, really, truly bad. You know, as we get into parts four, five, and six, particularly, they're really terrible. Part two is kind of weird and a bit stupid. And it's got some kind of interesting ideas, but it's not made very well but part three i was like oh my god this is one of the coolest films i had ever seen as a kid because it's sort of i think it did what this franchise does so well which is sort of mix true horror and some really nasty stuff with a kind of almost fantasy element there's almost mm. this feeling that these kids are like superheroes by the end yeah and uh and so especially as a kid i thought this film was amazing and i think you know again at their best these films 
they're teen slasher movies, but instead of just your bog standard man with a mask and a knife stabbing kids, they come up with these cool, inventive set pieces of ways to kill these kids, right? You know, everything that happens to these kids, Freddy Krueger, his MO, is that he kills them in a dream. So yeah. anything can happen. There is dream logic. So people will get, you know, like in the first movie, Johnny Depp's character famously gets like dragged up onto the ceiling of the bedroom and there's this amazing kind of surreal sequence where he's being killed upside down on the ceiling or um, Heather Langenkamp's character gets dragged down into the bathtub and in the third movie it just feels like they they have so much fun with some of the visuals and some of the set pieces a moment involving a guy getting turned into a, a puppet via that his kind of veins yeah. and arteries yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing or a girl who's obsessed with being on television getting a kind of head smashed into the TV like they, there's these <laughs> Kind of outrageous and over-the-top violent set pieces in this but there is something kind of creative and beautiful about it at the same time like i really loved it and you get like a real sense of character in this film which again you don't get in a lot of horror sequels you know often mm. it becomes about the body count becomes about the killer mm. and they pay less and less attention to the writing to the characters but you've got characters in this played by people like patricia arquette and Lawrence fishburne who are genuinely who genuinely feel like characters and are well played you know these are good performances as well you know so uh mm. yeah i think it is one of the all-time great horror sequels watching it for the first time today i was like that's where stranger things gets this from yeah like it's, it's very so, stranger things it is like even like the even the main character is called nancy like mm-hmm. you know it's and she looks exactly like nancy from stranger things right it's yeah the big so curly like, hair yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is yeah the dream thing, like a different state. It all kind of like fits together. And you're right; it does. It did feel like it almost felt like Freddy was the I don't know wasn't the main character kind of thing. Like you said, like other horror movies, like the killer's the main character, whereas this actually felt like the characters were the main characters and. Yes. Yeah. And actually, like the thing I love about Wes, I mean, this wasn't directed by Wes Craven. It was directed by Chuck Russell, who, again, really fascinating director. He would go on to make stuff like The Mask in the 90s. But he said, clearly this kind of like very visually creative, imaginative director. But the story was by Wes Craven. And Wes Craven obviously wrote and directed the first one. He created Freddy Krueger as a character. He made this character based off his own kind of fears and anxieties. He read these kind of news stories about these children that were dying in their sleep, apparently from nightmares, and that they found in these kids' bedrooms these kind of coffee machines and stuff where they had been secretly trying to keep themselves awake because they were too scared to go to sleep and then they did actually end up dying in their sleep so there was this kind of weird element of truth to what uh, Wes Craven based his first film on and uh, he based Freddy Krueger on this man that he once saw as a child he looked out of his window in the middle of the night and he saw this man I think he was a homeless man stood in his backyard and he was wearing this kind of old stripy sweater and this hat and he was just staring up at him in in through his window in the middle of the night and it freaked Wes Craven out and he apparently never forgot it so he kind of drew from all these kind of real life things that scared him to create mm. uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street and the original Nightmare on Elm Street is truly supposed to be this very very scary movie this very frightening idea of these young children dying in their sleep by this kind of really menacing man and Freddy Krueger doesn't get a lot of screen time in the first one he's you don't see a lot of him he's kind of in the shadows and he's very menacing 
And then, obviously, we know what happened with Freddy Krueger in that, you know, by the time you get to part four, five, six, <laughs> he became like an action figure. You could buy lunchboxes for kids with Freddy Krueger on on them. You know, you you could, uh, there was like cartoons, there was video games. He became like a pop culture icon. And part three was just before that wave. And even though you can see elements of Freddy Krueger starting to become a bit kind of wisecracky in this movie, and he does have mm. a few kind of one-liners and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, for, you know, Wes Craven, who was absent for the second movie, came back to do the story of this third movie. And I think it feels a little bit more rooted in something real again. Wes Craven making a film about something genuinely human and frightening which is this idea of these kids you know in this hospital the way they're being ignored by the adults you know the way that the staff at the hospital don't take them seriously and the way they all kind of find each other there is a there's a real Wes Craven element to that too I think there's often this theme of kind of absent parents in all of his films and that kind of thing and um, sort of tapping into real childhood fears so yeah I, I love that it's got that kind of it's got that Wes Craven vibe again in this one where it feels like he's bringing it back to something that truly frightens him again. But also Chuck Russell's direction, which is just bonkers and fun and imaginative. Oh, it's it's and so cool. much fun. Yeah. I was um, like Rich. I have watched, I think I've watched the original and I might have watched a couple of more, but I, I can't remember tell you which one's which at this point. Mm-hmm. And we're, me and Rich have quite famously grown to be uh, don't not, not like, uh, horror films but scaredy cats i think yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think the older yeah. i get the more scared of stuff i am yeah and i don't it really like kids in peril really like gets to me as well since i've since i've had kids yes like yes. kids in perils like oh no <laughs> but yeah. teenagers i can just about handle yeah yeah so i think the, the thought of watching something which is so iconic and historic and mm-hmm. you've heard so much about is worse than actually what's on screen because this is literally nothing what i thought it was going to be like when i actually watched it like you yeah. said the creative set pieces mm. are, weirdly so much fun and you're kind of yeah. looking forward to the next one to see how how the next kid dies like the one the drug addict girl oh, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's pretty horrible it is it is there's that other thing right where they're all being preyed upon for their own personal traumas and weaknesses yeah. as mm. well you know like it, again it feels kind of thought about in that regard which a lot of the rest of the sequels kind of aren't in that way um yeah and and again like visually it's just some weird stuff like there's a whole almost kind of ray harryhausen stop motion skeleton fight at the yeah. end and stuff and you're just like what is happening again it's like not the sort of stuff you expect to see in a sort of 80 slasher sequel um and i love it for that i like the mirror hall bit i thought that was very mm, cleverly yeah. done i have to say some of the acting hasn't a- act like dated well <laughs> yeah <laughs> no some of it's not great some of it's not great i mean l- believe me when i say it's still better than a lot of the other sequels that's scary um but uh and i think that's because it's got a few recognizable names so this is the first movie that brings nancy back so nancy heather langenkamp's character was the star of the first one she was right. the sort of final girl of part one as a teenager again part two completely different all new characters has nothing to do with the first one so this movie feels like a true sequel in that it brings her back it brings back john saxon who plays her father in this and then you've also got people like yeah patricia arquette and, and lawrence fishburne or larry fishburne as he's larry. credited in this yeah. movie yeah who are good and feel like they bring a bit of weight to it but you're right some of the other performances are a bit wobbly here and there for sure 
Yeah. So how did you watch this? Was this the sisters renting it for you? Uh, it was on telly. I remember it was on late one night on, I think, BBC, like BBC One or two, really late at night. You know, nice. I used to always scan the Radio Times every week, you know, to find out what might be on at any given, you know, on any given night at sort of one in the morning or something. It tended to be, tended to be when those sorts of films were played. And uh, yeah, this movie was on late one night on TV. So I would have to set the old VCR recorder up, like set it all up to record. And it's always a bit of a gamble, wasn't it, as to whether or not that would actually work. And it would yeah, always yeah. be a bit of a, a tense moment the next morning when I'd come downstairs and be like, did it record this film I was desperate to see? Um, but yeah, it did. And I remember then waking up excitedly and watching it the next morning and, and yeah, being absolutely blown away by it. I loved it. I have to ask the order you've watched them because if you're just going to ca- try and catch them on TV, mm-hmm. had you watched the original by this point? I'd or? seen the original and I think I'd seen part two. So I had sort of seen them in order roughly. I think from this point onwards, the order went out the window. I think I saw Freddy's dead the final nightmare which is the sixth one before parts four and five i think i then saw part seven wes craven's new nightmare before i saw part five so it all went a bit all over the place after that but i think i definitely saw one two and three in order because i remember thinking two was really really not great and really kind of spoiled what was great about the first one and then i remember seeing part three and thinking holy shit what an amazing return to form this is you know and absolutely loving it and that was down pretty much down to wes craven because i was reading about today and he was like he was so disappointed with the the response to the second one that he had nothing to do with it he was like well if they're going to do it i might as well write it Um, yeah 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 he and and honestly like i mean he is one of my favorite directors we talked about scream already but i think there's this feeling with wes craven where he only wants to make a horror film about something if he feels like there's a reason to do it he's he 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 didn't he, he was never that fussed about making these kind of countless freddy sequels if there wasn't a decent idea at the heart of it and he he wanted to come up with something that was a new frightening idea that he found effective and yeah. so i think you really feel that in his films whenever he comes back to kind of write the story or direct a movie yeah were you happy when it ended like the the not which one am i talking about freddy's no new nightmare and then they brought back Freddy versus Jason. How do you feel about Freddy versus Jason? <laughs> Freddy versus Jason he's is the not... good guy, right? In this yeah, movie. Freddy versus Jason is not great, but it was sort of fun and exciting at the time because <laughs> it was a cool thing bringing these two franchises together. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just a shame that it wasn't executed as well as it could have been, really. You know, I feel like maybe now, if given the chance, you know, especially in a world of kind of Marvel and crossovers everywhere, I feel like it could be done better if someone else had a better go of it. You know. Uh, at the time it was just a bit i think the production was all a bit rushed and troubled and there were rights issues with who owned jason and who owned freddie and it was kind of cobbled together and not that great uh, ultimately Mm. so it was a shame but uh it's a fun idea it's a fun concept so in freddie versus jason freddie the pedophile child murderer is the good guy Mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) no he's still not he's still not a good guy but 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 that is a that is a problematic thing that again this pedophile child molesting murderer did become a kind of pop culture icon right and uh no i think actually if anything freddy versus jason leans more into jason being the more sympathetic character and freddy being the more uh sort of evil one of the two of them um but uh but even so freddy krueger does get these kind of fun wisecracks and nods to the camera and literal winks to the camera there's a moment Mm. when uh, he is beheaded and his decapitated head 
winks at the camera. Uh, you know, it got yeah. that kind of cheesy as the movies went on. Setting it up for um, a sequel that never came on that yeah. one, I think. Yeah, exactly. But what I will recommend is because Freddy's Dead was terrible. That was the kind of real nail, literal nail in the coffin of that franchise. But then Wes Craven returned once more to do Wes Craven's New Nightmare in the mid 90s and did something really brilliant and kind of did something that he would go on to do with Scream a couple of years later where he made one of the earliest kind of meta horror movies so he essentially brought back all the original cast so Nancy comes back Heather Langenkamp except it's set in the quote-unquote real world so she is playing herself as actress Heather Langenkamp who starred in the Nightmare on Elm Street films and it's set in Hollywood and it's about the effect of horror on viewers essentially and it's about heather langenkamp as a mother with a young child and her bought her son accidentally watches a nightmare on elm street when he's too young and the effect it has on him and where's where's craven is in it as himself and he's talking about this idea of freddy used to be this frightening thing uh that then people kind of lost uh what the true horror of him was about and now mm. there is this kind of supernatural element where this evil has been let loose into the world because Freddy was the way to kind of contain it. It got a bit silly and fantastical, but it has a really cool idea at its at its heart, which is this idea of sequels kind of diluting what made this uh, creation kind of frightening. Yeah. And Wes Craven trying to kind of reclaim that and bring it back to being something yeah. frightening and, and real again, which is very, very cool. And idea. Wes Craven plays Wes Craven, doesn't he? Yeah, everyone's in it as themselves. Robert England is in Brilliant. it as himself. Wes Craven... Uh, John Saxon comes back as himself as well so all of these actors from the first movie and the third movie are back Um, so yeah what I always recommend to people is basically stick with the Wes Craven trilogy of Elm Street films which is part one three and new nightmare ignore all of the rest and they actually work as like a really perfect little trilogy essentially yeah, because that no, was kind yeah. of like a legacy sequel before legacy sequels and are now a thing, right? Yeah, completely. A kind of meta legacy sequel thing. Uh, and, and it really does feel like a forerunner to Scream. It, you know, it talks all about the kind of violence in movies and horror cinema. And the, there's a lot of nods to other horror franchises. Yeah. There's a whole subplot with the actress Heather Langenkamp being stalked by someone obsessed with the movies. And there's like menacing phone calls and stuff. So it, it kind of feels like he was gearing up to this kind of postmodern 90s vibe that he would go on to, yeah. to make famous with Scream. Yeah. Yeah. So there has been a remake, but now legacy sequels are so in and so cool and it's the, the yeah. thing to do. Are you worried that one day they're going to get round to this? And yeah. Like, I mean, in in some ways, I think... How do you feel it, about that? Uh, well, I'd always be open-minded to it Good. because I, I love the idea of Elm Street. Again, this idea that filmmakers could be completely creative and bonkers by creating something truly nightmarish again. And I feel like over the last few years, you know, we've talked about this a lot on my podcast and just, you know, in the kind of horror world, horror is going through a bit of a golden age right now. You know, we are really in the midst of some truly brilliant creative people making truly frightening stuff. You know, yeah. Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Mike Flanagan, uh, Julia DeCorno, well, Jennifer really. Kent. Yeah, these people that are making stuff that is weird and bold and frightening and interesting and is usually about something as well again you know Mm. Jordan Peele is like the perfect example of that and I feel like in some ways now is a better time than ever to maybe bring back this idea of this nightmarish figure who haunts children and I, I feel like somebody could do it now in a successful way maybe that they didn't in 2010 in, in, in sort of 
in the late 2000s early 2010s it felt like there was a lot of just reboots and remakes being churned out for kind of cynical reasons we had a remake yeah. of texas chainsaw the hills have eyes uh the fog uh, we had rob, Z- rob zombies halloween films yeah. we had friday the 13th there was this wave of really bad just like studio churned um remakes and sequels that were really bad whereas i think now we're in a much more interesting creative place and yeah if somebody did it right i would absolutely welcome if robert eggers for example decided he wanted to make or ari aster decided they wanted to make some truly weird nightmarish you know nightmare in elm street movie i'd be all for it because the, the premise is is fucking scary like yes. the idea yeah, yeah. You're, you're not safe in your in your dreams is yeah it is it is and it gives filmmakers this freedom to be as weird and creative yeah. as they want as well you know so it's a it's an awesome idea it's just got to be executed well i think and i mean there is this i mean we've talked about evil dead a little bit and uh and evil dead rise and that kind of thing that coming right. back and that's another great example yeah there is this yeah. comic book of but apparently it's a freddy versus jason evil dead crossover comic book <laughs> yeah so yeah. you never know they could all come back in the same kind of universe or exactly something. you never know i don't know how any of that makes sense to be honest but <laughs> no I, I i would also i would also welcome it for sure <laughs> what is your most disappointing sequel so it's not your worst sequel it doesn't even have to be a bad sequel but Ooh. what is the sequel that's left you the most disappointed i mean we we spoke about the lost world earlier no, that mm-hmm. was disappointing. But is there anything else that you can think of? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm sorry to name another horror because my brain always no, just goes fine. straight to horror. We don't have but... enough horror on this podcast. Okay, so... great. Well, there you go. You're about to have an overload of horror now. But Wicked. the one that immediately comes to mind, speaking of, you know, this is kind of slightly um, going against what I just talked about, about how we're in a bit of a golden age of horror. But <laughs> not the biggest fan of the Blumhouse Halloween sequels that have come out over the last few years, uh, the okay. David Gordon Green Halloween movies. They've been pretty rubbish to be honest and like the first one was okay and it had some fun elements about it but i i think like many other people did feel that slight disappointment that they weren't quite as good as they could have been i suppose halloween is such a difficult one because compared to nightmare on elm street where it feels like you can be weird and creative and take the, the the story in bold new directions like they did in dream warriors halloween is so simple the point of it is just a man in a white mask that stalks babysitters on halloween night and there's only so much you can do with that premise right so it's actually amazing that there have been about 12 13 of those films um that are essentially the same thing over and over again right so i think uh yeah i i i as much as I still kind of get excited at the idea of a new Halloween film, I always find myself slightly disappointed that it's never as good as I want it to be. Yeah. Was it kills or ends that really disappointed you? Did you... Was it the ending? It, it was... It was No, actually, it was... Well, it was... It was all of them, really, but in a weird, different way. So I think kills is probably the worst of the three of them, the middle chapter. It's pretty ridiculous and um just really really badly written i would say mm. and then ends is a quite a controversial one the one that just came out some mm. fans really really hated it and said it was the worst in the whole franchise because it essentially kind of veers away from michael myers completely and kind of focuses on a new character 
I actually didn't mind that so much. I kind of welcomed it taking it into a new direction. And by then my sort of expectations were so low that I didn't really care. So <laughs> I think for me, it was probably the, the, the second one. It was Halloween Kills that was the, the, the most disappointing of the bunch. Yeah, That's when it came superhuman more, wasn't it? Yeah. He took out one fireman after another, but they oh. didn't seem to attack him at once. They all took their turn to get killed and it feels like that franchise doesn't really know what to do with jamie lee curtis like she just kind of lies in a hospital bed throughout that whole film kills and mm. just shouts evil dies tonight occasionally like it's it's quite a badly written film that, i think it, it's kill kills to ends is weird because kills he's like superhuman so yeah. michael myers is it's superhuman and then it ends he's like a little old man yeah. Like he's so he's all ineffectual. And, and in yeah. the sewers. Yeah. It, it was so weird. One of my friends recently made the good point that it's almost like that friend, that that trilogy would have worked better in reverse, you know, like begin it with 40 years later, Michael Myers is this weird shadowy thing that's weak and has lived in the sewers hiding this whole time. Mm. Then go to Halloween bad. Kills where it begins to escalate and then end with the kind of classic Halloween night, Michael Myers is back and killing babysitters again. And yeah, it kind yeah. of brings it back to the original as an end point almost and end with that end sequence of the the first david gordon green one where jamie lee curtis sets booby traps in her house yeah. and blows him up and that's where it ends right that would Which almost make more quite sense a fun movie right yeah that first yeah, one, like. yeah. It, it is quite fun it is quite fun exactly yeah so it's a it's a really strange disjointed trilogy of films that trilogy mm. yeah do you think they had the idea of the last film in that trilogy when they wrote the first one so they always had that heaven well, kid or whatever it was yeah um it doesn't feel like it, right? It doesn't no. feel planned. But yeah, David. Got, I interviewed David Gordon Green for the um, for my podcast, and he said that essentially he always had the idea that it was going to be two films, and then the first one did really well, and Blumhouse were like, "Let's make three. And so they kind of shoved in that middle chapter, Halloween Kills, where he sort of said, "We knew where this trilogy started. We knew where it ultimately ended. Part two was just us having fun." And oh, I can't remember what he said. He said something like throwing tearing open the toy box and throwing shit everywhere was how david gordon green described <laughs> making halloween kills so i was like right, right. He, he knows Perfect. exactly what that film is then right okay fine throwing shit everywhere is how he described it so yeah <laughs> that's good it's, i think the, first, the second one is just a bunch of annoying people just you want to die yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah yeah pretty bad <laughs> if they did another halloween how would you how would you go about that well and this is going to link a little bit to what I'm going to talk about later with my dream sequel, but I would Brilliant. like to see a completely different story. Enough mm. Michael Myers, enough Haddonfield, enough Laurie Strode. Like uh, Back in the day, you know, John Carpenter made Halloween and Halloween 2. Yeah. They kind of followed the same story. At the end of Halloween 2, Michael Myers died. He exploded. And that was it. It was the end of that story. And then they made Halloween 3 that was called Season of the Witch, which was an entirely different story. It was like a kind of supernatural kind of witch's, witch's story, kind of mixed with a bit of sci-fi. And it was entirely its own thing. And the idea that John Carpenter had was that Halloween as a franchise was going to continue as almost like an anthology series where each movie was oh, going to okay. be an entirely new story made by a different director centred on Halloween, but it was going to be something completely different each time. And I think that, but of course, everyone hated Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, because they yeah. said, where the hell is Michael Myers? So a few years later, we got Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And that's literally what it was called. And then that was where the series became all about him. But I always wanted 
to bring it back to that idea of, you know, Halloween could be about anything. The title is so generic, right? Let's have yeah. a film called Halloween that is something entirely unrelated to this man in a white mask with a kitchen knife. You know, I, th- I feel like we've done enough with him by this point. Yeah, put him to rest yeah. for a while. Yeah, I think yeah. so. He deserves to die. Yeah. What is your been your worst ever sequel? Oh, okay. So I've gone with one that came immediately to mind as one that I saw very recently and I was unspeakably angry at this movie. (laughs) Um, And uh, it links to what I was saying a little bit earlier about one of my first ever sequel experiences. But this is Jurassic World Dominion from 2022, right? It was last year. It was last year. Have you guys seen this, I take it? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. My God. I think it might be the most picked for worst sequel. Is it? Seeing as it only came out last year. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) There's a lot of hate. Yeah, there's a lot of hate. (laughs) From us, we we reviewed it as well and we hated it, so... It's dreadful, isn't it? It's really really a film with almost nothing to recommend it. And I think... think these Jurassic World movies have been, again, you know, it's a little bit like that recent Halloween trilogy. They've been a very weird, clunky trilogy of films, I think, right? Mm. Where Colin Trevorrow, yes. oh, Trevorrow, I always forget how to pronounce his surname, but he he did the original Jurassic World that was that kind of reboot, right? Brought legacy sequel, brought it back to, you know, the park is open, the dinosaurs are back. It was a cool idea, but like again wasn't brilliantly well made i think you know not as good as it could have been and then we get that weird middle sequel directed by i think it's ja bayona right who had made movies like the orphanage and made these kind of creepy gothic haunted house Mm. films and he did almost turn jurassic world into this creepy gothic haunted house story right yeah and it very it's very camp and stupid but i kind of enjoyed it in a kind of silly fun way and i think it had some cool visual moments and then we get Jurassic World Dominion, which is supposed to be the final chapter in this trilogy, the most epic. You know, the, the previous movie had promised that the dinosaurs are out. They are on the loose. So we're finally going to see what it's like to be in this world in which humans have to coexist with dinosaurs. Yeah, That was a really cool idea. I was really excited to see how that would pan out. And then, uh, on top of all the other excitement, they announced that Laura Dern, Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum would all be returning, you know, mixed in with the rubbish cast of the new ones, Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt, who no one really likes, right? (laughs) So, but I was like, brilliant. They're bringing back the three original cast members who we loved. The people you want to see, yeah. Yeah, people actually want to see, we're going to have dinosaurs on the loose in the modern world. Oh my God, what's that going to look like? It had so much promise and it was one of the worst, most disappointing things I've ever seen in my life. Like, how did they manage to get it as wrong as they did? It's it's almost impressive at how bad they managed to make that film, considering how much potential it had, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we've said this a few times, is that my, me and Dave, our big thing was we wanted the walking dead but with dinosaurs instead of zombies yes you know yes. that's that's and i think that's what everyone wanted an yeah. actual jurassic world right you know, you've called it jurassic world yeah. why have you put in another bloody park well like- yeah they put it back in a compound 
right? So that that in itself was um, a disappointment because we weren't roaming around the world with dinosaurs. Uh, they actually made it less about dinosaurs and more about locusts. What? Yeah. What? Whose decision was that? I don't they, get the locusts. They decided thing. to make this really boring story about the ecosystem and crops being ruined by locusts. <laughs> it's like, what's that got to do with anything? And so completely obvious as well. Yeah. It's like all the crops that aren't biosyn are getting eaten by locusts. I wonder who made the locusts. Yeah. Could it be the company they... called Biosyn? Who biosyn. may as well be called We Are the Baddies Corp? Like Biosyn. <laughs> Biosyn, I know. And you've got boring Chris Pratt and boring Bryce Dallas Howard being boring oh, in this film on their motorbikes, training velociraptors to be good. That annoys me. Mm. Uh, and then you've got Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill, who are all just, they don't really get given anything fun to do. You know, no. while um, these other characters are kind of running around this compound doing dinosaur stuff, they spend a lot of it in labs trying to steal samples or, you know, find the locusts. And Jeff Goldblum it, barely in it. Like, barely he's not doing in anything. It, right. Like, and the moments that they do have feel sort of badly written and they it does that really annoying thing where it tries to kind of harken back to the first one in a really kind of abhorrent way. Like there's the moment when Laura Dern gets out of the car and sees the ruined crop fields and she stands up from the car and lifts her sunglasses yeah. as a visual nod to the first one. Except in this one, all she's looking at is an empty cornfield. And it's like, what's that for? Who's that for? You know, it's just a... I was so cross at this film. The from film is full of that bits, isn't it? The bit oh, when the, yeah, yeah. the T Rex gets in the circle, but and you're like, don't, don't you do it? Don't, don't you do, you it. do it? Don't They've you do it? it. Uh, honestly, dinosaurs are so cool. How is it that they've managed to make so many bad films about dinosaurs in this franchise? Like, you know, the, there are some sequels that are more fun than others. But none of them really have come close to the original. And it's like, how how is every entry got it so wrong? And this mm. last one particularly got it more wrong than any of the others. It's like, just give us scary dinosaurs. That's all we want. And most of the films are so focused on the other stuff. You know, the, the first Jurassic World film was about that Indominus Rex, about them creating a man-made dinosaur. Why? Like, all the other dinosaurs are cool enough as it is, you know. And they're and, all man-made anyway. Yeah, like, like, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's weird. It's like every time they somehow get it so wrong, it's weird. It's talking about, like, horror, because the raptors were so scary in the first, oh. second film. So scary. It gave me yeah. horrific nightmares when, when I was a boy. Yeah. And now we've got to this point, and they're fucking puppy dogs. What the hell? Who came up with that idea to train them and make them good? Yeah, I don't understand that, because you're right, you know, the... The, the the set piece in the kitchen of the first film oh. where the children are being mm. stalked by velociraptors that is pure like horror set piece isn't it that yeah, is yeah. one of the yeah. scariest moments in cinema and yeah to go from that to chris pratt riding on a motorcycle surrounded by his pet velociraptors as like a kind of cool hero shot i'm just like what is this what are they doing it's really really sad yeah i agree with you i think it lacks an memorable set piece like you yeah. can remember lots of stuff from the, the first film, even the second film. Even yeah. the third film, it has pterodactyls in and you think... I think yeah, it does have a memorable set piece, but not for really good reasons. Okay, what have you So, got? like, the Malta set piece, I think, is quite a good one, but... That's not only, for dinosaurs. Only because it's basically... It's like they've gone... Do you know what would be... Mission Impossible with dinosaurs would be interesting, yeah. wouldn't it? Let's do that for five minutes and then completely ignore it. Plus, you see yeah, dinosaurs yeah. on the street at that point and you think, oh, dinosaurs are loose. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? That's true. At least that gives us something close to what we thought might be yeah. the, the, the film we were getting, right? You're yeah. right, kind of on the loose in a city, a kind of dinosaur chase. 
it, but you're right. It it was like it was trying to be the born identity with dinosaurs or something. Like again, <laughs> mm. it was just they just made so many weird story choices in this film that I just didn't understand. Yeah, very. And and this thing of trying to juggle its kind of new cast with its legacy cast as well. And and ultimately, again, like it was like Laura Dern and Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum showed up for like three days of filming. Well, not only then... did they have to juggle getting them all schedule wise, they had yeah. to ske- ske- uh, juggle scheduling that in a pandemic. Yes. So, so yes. We, I guess that's the about, other reason. Maybe. We spoke to yeah. the, uh, someone else yesterday about this, and they could only have a certain amount of people on set at certain times. So it's pretty remarkable that they've made a film at all, to be honest. And yeah. it does beg the question: is should they have just waited? Waited. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the other thing, right? It's like that was their. It felt like that was their one chance. That yeah. was their one chance to make a really cool dinosaurs roaming around the earth with Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum in it. And and like that's the other thing that is so awful about it is that like they had one shot at making this great and they've wasted it. You know, it's such a shame. And we'll probably never get that again. No. no. So when you knew it was coming and mm-hmm. you you know all that information's in front of you, you know they even released a couple of like short films. There's one called camp rock that looked quite good yeah and, and then a teaser over the t-rex at like a cinema and you think oh my god this could be really good <laughs> yeah. and then you, i did you go to the press screening of it i or... did i did i remember seeing it at the press screening in leicester square you know packed out with did they excited... give you drinks beforehand was it... oh loads of drinks there we uh, go here packed we go out packed out with excited journalists and influencers and all that kind of thing you know and yeah. um you know, there are times when I'll go see a film and I'm so wrapped up in the excitement of it that I will come out and go, that was great. And then a few days will pass and I'll go, was it that great? Was it, was it good? Mm. And I'll think about it more and more. And the more I think about it, the worse it gets. And then I'll go and watch it a second time months later and go, oh no, actually that was quite bad. But I was so wrapped up in the excitement of, you know, a, a long awaited film or the spectacle of it, or the fact that it was a press screening with free booze, whatever it might be, yeah. that influences my decision, right? But... Jurassic World Dominion, despite the fact that it was a fun Leicester Square screening, there was free stuff. I was so excited as a lifelong Jurassic Park fan. And I remember even then turning to the person next to me about one hour in out of the three hours. Oh, it's so and being long. Like, and being like, this is really, really bad. And like knowing even at the time, even amidst all the excitement, that this was a truly bad film, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, n- nothing could have covered that up or shrouded that for me. It was a, a truly terrible sequel. Yeah. Have you been burnt? Would you go back to a Jurassic Park now, world, whatever we're going to call it? Jurassic I think, Kingdom? I don't know I think, what they could call the next one. I think I would, actually. And you know what? <laughs> I actually went, this is terrible, but I actually went to see it a second time, Jurassic World Dominion, <laughs> because I was, I was podcasting about it, and I thought to myself... <laughs> Was I too mean and had I had too much free booze? So I actually paid money to go watch it a second time at my local cinema to think, let's give this another go with different expectations. Is it going to be as bad as I remember it being? Yes, it was. It was maybe even worse. So um, (laughs) yes, not only did I pay to go and see it again, I actually probably still would pay to go watch another Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movie. Mm. So would I. So I know, I. I know. I can't help it. I can't. It's like you know, it's weird, isn't it? And but I, th- I just think again, the the first one was so important in my life, and the idea of dinosaurs is just always so cool, right? So just, cool. just make just make some more cool dinosaur movies, you know? And uh, yeah, and we might get another one because this it made over a billion dollars. Of course, we'll get another one. Like yeah. you know, so yeah, you know, it's it's they're, they're gonna do it, aren't they? 
Well, that was the other thing, right? Because it kind of ended, right, with what the previous one promised, which was that, like, oh, dinosaurs are loose and it's a whole new world we've got to live in. And it was mm-hmm. like, hang on, I thought that was what the last movie promised. Yeah. You know, like, so, yeah, it feels like we still haven't quite had that sequel yet. Yeah. And I'd love to see that sequel. Mm. Yeah. I'd, I'd go see it and just not without Chris Pratt. And oh. just some yeah. new characters, maybe. Just Yeah. Give us yeah. a whole new... Give us a whole new cast you know i don't know give us some give it some cool high concept thing like we're in an apartment block and there's dinosaurs and we've got to escape or just like some fun like high concept simple kind of horror action movie with monsters you know i feel like that's mm. all we need do you work well as a tv series and each episode is a different part of the world or something yeah that would be cool wouldn't it it would be it a would really be cool. really expensive that TV apple show. tv yeah. I don't know if you watched it, Prehistoric Beasts, whatever it's called. Oh, I haven't seen that. The CGI is so good in it. And mm. I've cried over many dinosaurs in that. In that <laughs> yes. It's really good. I'll just give it to Apple and let them have a go at that. I would be my... Yeah. What is your worst point of Jurassic Park World Dominion? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Worst point. I will close it on that. Um... What really, really grinds your gears? It might be that moment I talked about where Laura Dern takes her sunglasses off and then looks at an empty cornfield that's been mauled by locusts because it kind of sums up everything that is bad about that film. It's like pointless nostalgia, no dinosaurs, uh, locusts, boring, and just like cynically nostalgic, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I would. <laughs> I stand by some... The locust bit, if it was in a different film, might be quite good. Like, yeah, yeah. But not in this film. Not in this film. No, thank you. What is the sequel that you've made you come back to a franchise? Or so you didn't like the first one or the second one, but three, four, six, two, you think, oh, that's quite good. We had someone the other day talk about Top Gun 2. Mm. You know, the third Planet of the Apes is probably better, well, much better than Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, uh, that's a good uh, one. And, and you watch a lot of horror. So horrors, they drag those those bad boys out oh they do they do yeah they, i'm sure there have been probably some horror franchises that have done this to me saw springs to mind right there were seven eight possibly nine saw films <laughs> i don't i've um, lost count now i think there might be nine now including that chris rock reboot a few years ago spiral and uh it really dips in the middle. My God, I, I saw four is a real, real low point. It's a really, really bad movie. But then I think saw five actually goes. Oh, this is actually quite interesting. Let's do some new fun stuff with it. So that that was one that kind of sprung to mind for me. Where again, some of these franchises where it just all depends on who's writing it and who's directing it, you know. And it can be quite random where you'll get these kind of bad ones in the middle, then you'll get the occasional good one, and then it will go bad again. A little bit like with Dream Warriors in the middle of that Elm Street series, where every time you think you're out, it might pull you back in with a with a good or an <laughs> yeah, interesting yeah. one, you know? Yeah. Like the police academies. Exactly um, that, yeah. Would you... I'm trying to think how to get this. What makes you go back to a sequel like that? Why haven't you stopped watching it, Mike? Mm. Like, why? what brings you back? Is it the hope that kills us? I think it probably is, right? I think usually it has to be a movie where I liked the first one enough to, okay. to, to, for mm. it to really have an impact on me. I'm trying to think if there are any franchises or movie series that i loved that then i completely gave up on i have given up on marvel films to be honest okay i don't think i've seen a marvel film at the cinema since endgame 
okay. and it's partly because I'm just not the biggest Marvel fan, but also I feel like the quality has dipped since then. You know, yeah. um, I've watched did. a couple yeah. at home, and I just thought to myself, do you know what? This isn't for me. I I don't really care anymore. I don't I don't feel any need to watch any more of these films. And people have told me that Guardians Three is very good. Yeah, I, I don't care. I'm, I, I, you know, to, for me, um, again, I don't care about Chris Pratt. I was sort of <laughs> done with the Guardians films after Part Two. I was sort of done with the Avengers after Endgame, and I don't really feel the need to watch another Guardians of the Galaxy film. So, those are, are the sort of some of the movie series that I feel mm. pretty much done with. I think where I don't okay. need to watch. So you just you save them for at home when you've got a spare a couple of couple, hours. a couple of them. I've watched them uh, at home. Some of them I've never watched at all. I've never seen the Eternals. Uh, I've never. <laughs> That's a long one. Uh, yeah, I can't, who who has the time? Uh, uh, I've never seen uh, Shang Chi. Is it Shang Chi? That's never fun. Seen oh, that yeah. That's okay. That's okay. quite a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. You like Pokemon? You'll love it. Okay, yeah. Uh, don't love Pokemon, but okay. There's, there's something that happens in the Eternals. It's quite a big an event. And yeah. it's been about seven films since the Eternals, and they have no one's mentioned it. No, it, not it, at all. It's bizarre. Uh, the Guardians Volume 3 is actually quite good, and it's it's quite dark. Yeah, uh, there, okay. there are d- darker themes, if that's... that's it's one of the thing. best ones since Endgame. It is okay, the best. that's good it to pro- know. It is the best one since Endgame. I, like, I liked... Um, I liked the Spider Verse. The Spider, yeah, they're fun. You know that that was fun, and I liked. Uh, oh no! I tell you what, I really didn't like, which this one made me cross. Uh, which I did go to see at a press screening was the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, yes. which was all promised as being this like Marvel does horror. They've got Sam Raimi. I hated it. And again, it like for me, rubbish, it, it gave me everything that makes me cross about a Marvel film, which was that it felt so, it was basically just a big, like kind of meringue of CGI multiverse hopping with yeah. shoving in characters that were just there to make Marvel fans cheer, but not there to serve the pur- purpose of a story. So throwing yeah. in Professor Xavier or whoever that was, you know, all mm. those people. And it didn't really seem to have an interesting contained storyline and also the the you know the promise that it was going to be horror was nonsense to me as well, well really like Sam i really Raimi didn't involved, like it. It? Yeah, yeah like it didn't it it did nothing for me that movie so yeah like i i really I, i've not seen the, the the latest thor movie don't, um don't it's really yeah, bad i'm sort of th- these are these are a lot of the franchises that have really kind is, of is there a character off. that would bring you back though I know it's not uh, your thing. I loved probably one of my favorite things in the whole of the Marvel verse that I have watched is television is WandaVision. Yeah. Uh, mm. I thought that was so brilliant. Like it 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 used the medium of television to tell a completely different and interesting story and I loved yeah. it. I loved the way that it took you through these kind of weird almost lynchian versions of like sitcoms and then it expanded into this bigger world and it told an interesting like sort of emotional storyline about Wanda and mm. what she was going through with her kids and her family and for me it ticked all the boxes that I want in a Marvel story it has a kind of cool larger universe it has some cool you know magic and fantasy but it has kind of a an emotional character arc at the center of it and I, I loved it and again I kind of feel like they completely sort of shit all over that with Doctor Strange with what they did with Wanda so yeah. I, yeah. I would see a second season of Wanda Vision that's what okay. I would I think Marvel to. TV is a lot better than Marvel movies, right? Yeah, now. maybe. Like there's yeah. a lot, but the TV shows are a lot better quality. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 
what is your dream sequel? <laughs> okay, well, obviously, I've gone back to horror here. And I find this, this is actually, I'm sure people have told you this before, but I think this is the hardest one to answer because so many of my favourite films that don't have sequels, I would never really want them to have sequels. I think often that's the beauty of them, right? Is that when I think of some of my favourite, for example, recent horror movies like Hereditary, like Get Out... I, I do not want to see sequels to those films. Or, mm. you know, some of my favourite non-horror movies are films like Whiplash, Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Mm. Again, never want to see a sequel to that. You know, um, it's like they're one and done for me. But yeah. um, a really interesting kind of um, sub-genre of horror is the anthology horror movie, right? And uh, the, the kind of horror movies that are that consist of lots of little mini stories. And mm. uh, some of the most famous ones are... For example, the VHS movies uh, do this. They're sort of found footage and anthology films. Creep Show from the 80s um, by George Romero was one of these. And I guess they sort of follow a similar kind of structure to TV shows like The Twilight Zone and uh, Black Mirror, Inside Mm. Number 9. These kind of like different stories, unrelated stories. And um, so I thought one that really kind of would interest me is a sequel to a film called Trick or Treat or Trick or Treat um, from, uh, I I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago. And this was a film that kind of sort of came out of nowhere and didn't really cause much of a stir when it first came out. It's this this kind of anthology movie. It's directed by Michael Doherty uh, and it stars people like Anna Paquin and Dylan Baker. Brian Cox is in it. It's got a really fun cast and it and it really kind of captures a kind of Halloween spookiness that I love yeah. uh, that doesn't... Again, it goes back to this thing that I was saying about the Halloween movies where they Blumhouse, in a way, wasted an opportunity, I think, to resurrect the Halloween franchise and make each movie a new low-budget story directed by somebody young and new and different doing different Halloween tales, like Halloween spooky tales. And you know maybe trick or treat is the film to do is the franchise to do that with you know because it presents us with these five interwoven stories that all happen on one halloween night and they're all connected Mm. by this very creepy um character called sam this like little creepy child who has a kind of jack-o'-lantern mask carries this little sack with him and uh, there is a kind of bigger mythology of sam kind of running underneath this but we only kind of scratch the surface of it in amongst these other kind of fun spooky tales and so i feel like of all the things to get sequels i would love to see something like this i feel like it could really work even if it went straight to netflix right and we got every october every halloween a new trick-or-treat movie five little you know unrelated Mm. stories loosely connected each one directed by a different filmmaker that all gave us like a fun supernatural tale of horror right like i feel like there's such a gap for that and i i think it would work really well yeah like a real life uh uh, live action simpsons treehouse of horror exactly exactly that basically treehouse of horror live action exactly that like and and you know with a bit of budget behind it uh, I think it would do really well. I feel, I feel like there is weirdly, and I think this is because of Michael Myers. I think <laughs> there is a weird lack of horror stories set on Halloween. Like they like we don't really get. I feel like filmmakers are not utilizing the holiday of Halloween mm, as much yeah. as they. Halloween's could be. getting massive now. I remember yeah. when I was, I was a child and it wasn't really a thing. But even in the UK, America, it's always been quite big. Exactly. It, exactly. In the UK now, 
Halloween is a massive thing as well. It is. It's become a proper holiday, hasn't it? And I yeah. think the look of Halloween, the vibe of it, kind of autumn, the the sort of um, the spookiness of it, the costumes, the kind of history of it, you know, the witches, you know, Samhain and all of this stuff kind of, there's there's interesting stories that could be told i think around halloween and i think it would be a really fun idea to each year have a series of sequels to trick or treat where we get fun new stories would you have a a different um director each year or would you say like four directors Mm, i would say four directors i would love to see because i think the fun of an anthology horror film uh you know we've had them ever since the 1940s they've always been popular there was a real wave of them in the 1960s and 70s by studios like amicus and people like this and um the fun of them is that they're all so different in their vibe and in their tone and you know that even if you get a bad one you might get a fun one that comes you know 15 minutes later like you i don't know there's something about it that appeals to my kind of uh, low attention span maybe yeah, yeah. as well right in mm. that it always mixes it up you know you're always going to get something different some are always going to be better than others but you usually come out of watching an anthology film saying at least a chunk of those were really really fun so that movie was you know at least usually a three-star movie because for the most part they're always going to be fun to you know a certain proportion of them at least yeah so i would i would give it to different filmmakers yeah 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 Yeah. this is quite fun and it is it's also quite interesting how the stories all link to each other yeah like they all they all it's not just sam that links them they all kind of interlink with each other don't they that's like, right that's right the nice reveal at the end of brian cox being the guy from the story and the oh, other yeah. one and i like, called that exactly first time I saw it. yeah yeah exactly it's great and they're all they're all quite silly stories again like i think they know what they are tonally these films are not trying to be deadly yeah. deadly serious in the way that again the halloween films feel like they're quite earnest like they're the, sort the, of the, the halloween these, these stories movies, that Sorry, yeah. the sort of the Halloween stories you tell each other when you're kids, yeah. right. aren't they? Like, like exactly. you know, this happened, like this kind of like that guy that lives there, he did this, like that kind of exactly you know. that, exactly that. And they are, they're almost like you could almost show trick or treat to kids. They almost have a kind of goosebumps sensibility, yeah, it does. right? Mm. Except yeah. that they've also got a kind of quite nasty edge. Some of them as well. They have quite, they have real stings in their tails at the end of most of these films as well. So yeah, I kind of love that. I think it's a really fun idea. Are you surprised that it hasn't got a sequel already? Because I, I'm reading about it today and they, they slightly announced it like twice that they're going to do a sequel and nothing's ever happened from it. Exactly. I think that's the other that's the other thing that made it spring to mind for me is that like it feels like people have been wanting this sequel. Because it's you a know, cult thing, isn't it? It's a real cult favourite. It's a real favourite amongst um, horror fans. You know, it's become one of those slow burn word of mouth favourites where yeah. it didn't really get seen by anyone when it first came out. I've but never since, heard of it, mate. No, no exactly. But since then, it's kind of grown in its reputation. And um, yeah, there's always talks of sequels and then they always fall through. I don't know why. It's really weird. But yeah, I, I think me and, uh, you know, a lot of other horror fans out there would would love to see uh, yeah. a trick or treat sequel. Yeah. I was just, I was listening to a, a podcast the other day, a trip to cinema with Alex Zane, and mm. he had... Um, Dexter Fletcher on yeah. and he was talking about making things for video on demand and how attention span uh, you yes. can't he, he was talking about he wanted to put this long like Italian job drive up a, a mountainside and they're like you can't do that because people have the opportunity to turn it off Yeah, I think with something like this it, it's a great because if they don't want it they could just try to skip to the next one but yeah. if not like you said they'll know in about 
10 minutes it's going to be a new story anyway totally yeah i think there's something really lovely about that you know i think that's true we are our attention spans are getting worse and worse you know in oh, the modern yeah. world it feels like i find it really difficult not to suddenly want to glance at my phone midway through a movie or whatever it might be and i think because of that i'm finding i'm enjoying more and more um tv rather than mm. film like shorter content and then particularly content like inside number nine or black mirror where you get these like little different stories to dip it dip in and out of as well you know well creatively yeah. it must be so freeing to make yeah. something like this and so exciting. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So, yeah, I think bring back the kind of classic spooky, you know, Treehouse of Horror-esque stories, but g- give them a bit of polish, give them a kind of Netflix or Apple TV kind yeah. of sheen and uh, and go and go dark and adult with them too, in a way. Would you, because I think Sam's the most iconic thing from this. I've, yeah. I've seen him. Now I know what it's from. Yeah. Would you... Would you have to bring him back, that character, and tie it around him? Or would he just be like a teaser somewhere? Yeah, I reckon you could very loosely tie it around him. Like, maybe you get a glimpse of him here and there at the beginning and Mm. the end or something like that. I don't think it needs to be... I think the worst thing it can do is try and create this kind of, like, narrative where everything has to mean something or connect to something else because again the fun of these films is that they're not that you know like again going back to the kind of marvel fatigue i i think i and probably a lot of people probably would welcome just give us some individual good stories don't worry too much about making it something bigger or making it something that connects you know like give me something that is just a series of fun set pieces or stories you know didn't del toro do something last year he did he did what was that called again yeah cabinet of yeah that's it cabinet of curiosities yeah exactly which were fun some of them were great some of them less great but that you know it's a fun idea as well wasn't it yeah, it was. It was. And some really good ones that we had yeah. in there as well. And and um, Jordan Peele brought back the Twilight Zone as well, yes. which is really fun. Jordan Peele himself kind of introduced each episode like a kind of, you know, like like that kind of old school host. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think these ideas are, are really, really fun ideas. Have you got any directors you would like to see do your part? Oh, again, like going back to some of those... Um, filmmakers i was talking about earlier who are kind of really firing on all cylinders right now like ari aster is an amazing visual director he started as a short film director and some of his shorts are absolutely incredible so i I feel like he would do a really good job just Mm. as we're recording this i just watched last night bo is afraid his new film oh what's it like it's bonkers i mean okay. it's uh it's three hours long oh, uh it's a yeah which it, it didn't need to be that long but it has some incredible moments and also some really not great moments that i would have liked to have just cut you know it's one of those sorts of movies it feels a little bit like he's been let loose with complete creative freedom and maybe he shouldn't have been <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah he's great though and i feel like given you know given the confines of make a 15 minute horror story i think he'd, he'd do an amazing job yeah. uh same with jennifer kent who directed the babadook i think she's amazing uh julia de corno a french director who made films like raw, raw. and titan oh my god like yeah powerful yeah, disturbing stuff right um, raw sticks in my brain <gasps> but, yeah. i know like you never forget it did you watch her next film titan the, not yet um, no not yet unless no. someone picks it mike jesus <laughs> It is hardcore. Like, I, I am pretty good with gore and body horror, but there were moments when I had to look away and cover my eyes and wince. It is I would hardcore. rather watch Evil Dead Rise again than watch Roar <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think she's an amazing filmmaker. Um, So, yeah, people like that I would love to see, you know, come and give us 15 minutes that are really going to mess with my head. <laughs> 
Those were Mike Munzer's Unequal Sequels. Uh, I, I know I'm saying this every week right now, but what a lovely chat that was. <laughs> what a lovely chat Mike is. I was, I was a bit worried about this one because you know I'm not a massive horror fan. Yeah. And I know like Mike's the, the evolution of horror guy. He's the horror he's guy. Horror, he's, the hor- he's the horror guy. And I was a little bit like, oh, my horror knowledge is weak at best. But you know what? It was awesome. Awesome. It was awesome. So, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, was his best sequel. Uh, first time I've ever seen a Nightmare on Elm Street before. And uh, I think I came in at a high point, potentially. <laughs> I think you might have done. <laughs> I mean, that is some, like interesting filmmaking in that film it's yeah. um they get very creative deaths and yeah i was like you rich because i'm not massive on horror either I've, I've i've dabbled a bit more than you but mm. it's not as horrory horrory or gory and bloody as no. i thought these uh, nightmare on elm street films are i mean as a child i bet they're fucking frightening but True. as True. men nearly our 40s 40s uh you know it was just fun yeah you know what wasn't fun though <laughs> again Watching Jurassic World of Dominion again. <laughs> I, it, is, it is definitely our most hated sequel now. It gets a lot of mentions in the disappointing department and the, yeah. in the, the worst. Guys, yeah. just letting know the makers of Jurassic World Dominion, you fucked up big time. Big time. I think that's... I mean, it's at least three people have picked it as worst sequel, if not more. Definitely three. Like, definitely at least three. Petros last year, Boyd last year. I want to say last year, I mean last season. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people are mentioning it disappointing. Russell Bailey mentioned it a lot and disappointed. And now we've got it again today, Mike. Picking it as the worst. It is yeah. a really it's bad, bad film. Guys. It's bad. And then uh, for the dream sequel, Trick or Treat, which again, Delightful. I didn't know existed and actually really quite enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. right. And I didn't think I would because there's some, it's all the things I kind of don't really like about movies, like some t- serious child endangerment. You know, it's kind of, a bit gruesome uh, in places. Some you know, jump scares, actually, yeah. Yeah, quite liked it. Had some fun. Is that because Mike's so convincing and so good like at what he does? I just, yeah, I mean, I just think the guy knows the genre so well that he just picks a great choice. And doesn't matter if you're a fan of... And this is the thing, is it's... you. Sh- I shouldn't really say that I don't like horror because you can't write off a whole genre like that. No, we've learned that now, right? Yeah, we have. We have, because I've seen some really good horrors. So, you know, I think that's that's the point, isn't it? Is that he really knows his stuff. He really knows, you know, he's picked a really good choice. And one that us as not being massive horror fans actually really liked. So, Bravo yeah. him. Bravo him. Yeah. That's why he's so Great good at what shout. he does. Uh, Evolution of Horror Podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. If you like horror films, it is, it is like the go-to it uh, is horror podcast. Whilst you're out there checking that out and subscribing and get it in your pod player of choice every week, just uh, do the same for us while you're there. You know, if you've come along to this podcast because you're a big fan of Mike's, then uh, you know, just check out the other episodes we've got because there's some there's some really good ones on there. You know, there's you'll find some more horror stuff if that's your bag. Um, <laughs> it's there. Yeah, it's it's there. You'll find it. Um, yeah, go out, go and subscribe. We'll drop into a pod player of choice at least once a week, if not more than that at the moment. And if you really, really like us, then get yourself over to anotherslice.com forward slash unequal sequel, where you can subscribe to our special subscription service for only two ninety nine a month. You'll get a sequel to all of our interview episodes. You'll get extra 
bonus content like our flash review that we've done recently um you will also get access to box set mentality and disenfranchised which is basically like having another couple of extra podcasts to listen to it's very good value uh but if that's not quite where you're at at the moment you've not quite got 2.99 a month but you do want to help us out get on the old social media tell your friends we are at unequal sequel on twitter and on instagram you can you want to get in touch with us and tell us all about your opinions about the choices that Mike's made, then uh, you can drop us an email, unequalsequel at hotmail.com. Yes, that is hotmail.com because we are old men from the 90s. So, yeah, give us a shout and uh, we'll read out anything you say on the podcast. Yeah, we're very much like uh, Will Farrell and Anchorman. We will read out literally anything. Literally anything. Yeah. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> San Diego means a whale's vagina. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. If this is your first time listening because of Mike, welcome. Hello. Hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully, you stick around and check out a few other episodes. Phil, we're very warm and welcoming. So feel free hmm. to go and do whatever you want. I've got nothing else to say. I've just realized. I've just literally, my mind's gone blank. So I'm going to just going to say bye because I think that's the easiest oh, thing I can that's... do right now is, is bye. You know, he's also going to say bye. Bye. So that's done. He said bye. I've said bye. And now it's just a bye. Bye. <laughs> that was a lot of byes, dude. I like saying bye. They can't see me waving. I don't know why I wave every week. It's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know. It's the same when I do jazz hands every time I say extra on the extra episode. I think it's for me and you. No one can see it. Yeah, it's just for you, mate. And a lot of people say, are you going to do video podcasts? The answer is fuck no. 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 Have you seen how ugly we are? Christ.